My friends, welcome everybody to the Light Lab Podcast. My name is Eliana Light. This is our place to play with prayer and hold the gems of our liturgy up to the light and see what shines through. I am here with my good friend, Cantor Ellen Dreskin. Hello, everybody. And today we have a very special guest. We are joined by the one and only Rabbi Noah Diamondstein. Rabbi Noah Diamondstein is the Associate Rabbi at Temple Sinai in D.C., a wonderful congregation. He is an amazing song leader and teacher and songwriter. Noah has two albums of original music, Ashira Ladonai and My Whole Heart, which is less an album and more like 17 songs and four intentional chambers of the heart. It's wonderful. It's amazing. And he's also our very good friend. We're so glad you're here. Welcome, Noah. Hi, it's so cool to be here. This is a dream come true. Hello, both of you. Oh, hello. For us, too. Um, so grateful that we're going to start with our opening question, which is, can you tell us about a recent moment of shalom? And no, I'm not going to translate that yet. Uh, Noah, want to get us started? Tell us about a recent moment of shalom. I sure can. A recent moment of shalom for me was that uh, we had, um, I was telling Eliana earlier, this this recent sort of new bit of information come into our family that our amazing kid ha uh, had this different diagnosis that we weren't sort of expecting, but then all of a sudden it came into our lives and it was this really intense, heavy day. And I was feeling a lot of feelings. And then I was sitting in my car outside of my temple. I was like in the parking lot and I put on a piece of music, I believe co-written by Dan Nichols and Cantor Ellen Dreskin, a uh, song called Everywhere. Amazing song, by the way, for those who haven't gone and, and listened to it. It, it, is, it is one of the best songs I've ever heard. And I sat in my car and I listened to this song about God and life and the world. And I cried beautiful tears. And I, it was an incredible moment of shalom, again, without translating the word shalom for me. That was necessary and needed. So thank you, Ellen. For my moment of shalom. Wow. Wow. <laughs> well, thank you for mentioning it. And so I'll start off with that song is recorded by David Wilcox and his wife, Nancy Pettit. And however, he you can't didn't... See, you can't see it if you're listening to this podcast, but my jaw just hit my desk. And however, he did not write it either. I would have to go back to the, the real source, but it is quite, quite a piece of music. And I'm very glad that whatever recording you found of it was, uh, was of comfort. Well, it was your voice, my friend. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Well, thank, thank you. you. Thanks. I'm very happy to hear that. So I have to come without translating Shalom. Just last night, I finished watching the movie Everything Everywhere All at Once. I've been wanting to watch it for a long time. I've been scared to watch it for a long time because I cannot handle violence, particularly with lots of blood and slow motion. I do not find it entertaining. So I made my son watch it with me. And at the end, towards the end of the movie, when everything was happening everywhere all at once, I had 
an underst- a glimmer of an understanding into what something like that must feel like when that is what is going on inside your head. And I had read this out our outline yesterday and I thought, oh, that's gonna make it onto the podcast. <laughs> so I'll stop there. Yes, indeed. Winning the Oscar for Best Picture is not the highest accolade this movie has achieved. It is, in fact, being mentioned here on the Light Lab podcast. (laughs) Absolutely a gem of a movie. So much insight. Yeah. Yeah. Good pick. Good pick, indeed. So there were a couple of moments swirling around in my head, but the one that resonated the most was that last night I had the opportunity to be a part of a well circle, a Rosh Chodesh gathering for the new month of Nisan, our first month of the year coming up soon, time of our liberation. It's either the middle of Nisan or after Nisan when you're hearing this listener. But anyway, now you know when we recorded this. And first of all, it was so nice to be held in a Jewish space where I did not have to be in charge because so often I find so much meaning in Shalom holding it. But so it becomes actually a practice for me to be held, but that's a very important practice for me. And the woman who is uh, leading so beautifully in this mindfulness prompt reminded me of the fact of our spiritual story that we went out into the wilderness and we were okay not all of us were okay, but like as a people, we survived. And I've been feeling very unstable lately. There were a lot of things that I thought were secure in life that in fact are not secure. And I've found myself holding on to different markers of security that really aren't real or true. And then as soon as she said that, I had like this deep feeling of, I'll be okay. I will be okay in the wilderness might not feel great. It might not be comfortable and that's okay. And that slavery was stability. The slaves wanted to go back to that because it was stability, but it's only out in the wilderness that we receive revelation. So that kind of dawning on me, that kind of full feeling of a deep breath and an I'll be okay, I think was a very necessary moment of shalom with me. So before we go any further, listeners, and you, of course, can think, what is a moment of shalom that you've experienced recently? And of course, it all hinges on what do we mean when we say, of course, Ellen's favorite question and our favorite question for you to bring with us, Ellen, what do we mean when we say shalom? Or what might we mean? Well, hmm. Well, let's go there. I suppose all of us learn first that, gee, shalom is a great Hebrew word because it means hello, goodbye, and peace. And so I grew up learning that too. And I'm also very grateful for going a little deeper or learning a little bit more about Hebrew roots and this one in particular. To find out that the root for Shalom, Shin Lamed Mem, we call it a peace. And it really has more to do with being Shlema, perhaps something being complete 
or whole. We look at the root of shleimut, a word that we usually think of as perfection, and we realize the, the inclusion of absolutely everything I'm going back to everything, everywhere, all at once now, immediately. It, that that all-inclusiveness of everything positive and negative that life includes is very different than what we think of in English as perfection. Um, I'd love to bring a couple of texts just that have always been fascinating to me. After Jacob and Esau in the Torah res- uh, reunite with each other, they make a decision not to continue together, but to go their separate ways, or Jacob does anyhow. And this is after he has wrestled with the being that has wrenched his hip and he is limping and then reconciles with Esau. It says that he goes away, he limping from Esau, he goes shlema. And it's usually translated as he's going toward the village of Shalem. But another interpretation of it is that after the wrestling, after the the reuniting with his brother, even though he walks with a limp, now he's really getting somewhere towards Shlemut, towards the wisdom, et cetera, that that everything, everywhere, all at once, life uh, brings to us. And I also love this quotation from the Kotzker Rebbe. They said, there's nothing more shalem than a broken heart. That until a heart includes the ability to be broken and the understanding of that, so until we can see as much as we can of the big picture, we're still missing something. We're not quite... Shalem. So, gee, that's the long version of what I do with this word or the short version. Gosh, Ellen, there was so much in what you just said, but what really struck me about being able to sit with the complexity of life, having peace not be a perfect thing, but the ability to be with what is. And I'm thinking about the great work that Rabbi Adina Allen does at the Jewish Studio Project. And when I've done workshops with her, how she shares her goal is to help people. I'm paraphrasing probably, but to be able to help people sit with complexity because there is so much violence in this world, so much harm that is done, so much disinformation and lies that are believed because it is very difficult to sit with the complexities of the world and to sit with what is. And we might think that complexity is not peace, but in fact, if we were all able to hold multiple narratives at once, multiple truths at once, to acknowledge pain that we've caused, to sit with these uncomfortable discordant things, how much more peace could there be in the world? It's really powerful. Thank you for bringing that aspect of it to us. Uh, 
I, I, I just want to quickly jump in. I know there's so much more to do. I just, before I lose it, cause it'll, it'll fade into the ether of my, of my mind. Like one of the things I think is so beautiful also about the teaching you just brought us, right. About wholeness versus perfection, right. Is that, you know, obviously we can, we can split as many hairs as we want, but from the bird's eye view, perfection has a standard. And then the question is by whose standard is it perfect? Versus wholeness, which at least theoretically is without standards. Either something has all its pieces or it doesn't. Either the either the IKEA furniture came with all the required bolts and screws or it didn't, right? And I think perfection is an unreasonable goal for humans, but wholeness is maybe not. Which is which has a lot of power. So, so I think about how Jewish it is to to carry uh, the the uh, midrash about carrying the broken pieces of the commandments along with the commandments, of having all opinions represented in the Talmud, the minority opinions that we keep saying. You're really trying to get the big picture here. I just love that that concept. It's also reminding me of the conversation that I had with Rabbi Emily Aronson of Chronic Congregation about the difference between healing and cure. About, right? Cure, we understand to be, and the malady disappears, and you are as you were before, whereas healing is an integration and is potentially possible even for those like me with chronic pain or chronic illness, um, which is a very different way to think about it. I, I, oh my gosh, yeah, so many things. But what's coming to my mind also is our yotzer or prayer in the morning liturgy in the piece right after the Barchu about creation, yotzer or uvorechoshech, oseh shalom, right? Creator of light, fashioner of darkness, maker of shalom, and then rabbinically, we have, right, uvareyat hara, and maker of the evil or cause of the bad things. It's been changed to oseh shalom uvareyat hakol, shalom and everything. I don't, I don't know where I was going with that, but it felt like it needed to be said if either of you have any thoughts on that. Wholeness, wholeness, or shalom, I don't know. Shalom, it's Hebrew, right? So shalom always means all the things that shalom means, right? But I like the idea of, of wholeness as the counterbalance to evil, whatever evil means, right? Or if you want to use it more in like a yetzer hara way, right? The fact that we need our yetzer hara, that we would all just sort of sit around on stumps all day and watch the clouds go by if we didn't have a yetzer hara, Right. Perhaps the idea of shalom as an as as a counterbalance to ambition, and what and what does what does that mean for us uh, in the context of creation as as well with yotzer that you you know like I think that's that's beautiful, um, and you know I'm also struck by the fact that the bore etara appellation for God is prophetic, right? So this this sort of prophetic voice that's that's sort of reminding us that like god put ra in the world for a reason and it can be used for rock the yetzer hara can be used for tov <laughs> uh and and toward shalom or not right and we need some shalom to counterbalance that i think 
that was a bit of a soup, but that's that's what happened when you when you brought that up for me. I think it's, it's awesome. <laughs> I'm thinking of the Paul Simon song, an old Paul Simon song called "One Man's Ceiling Is Another Man's Floor." You know, not everything. Life happens in all its variety, in all its subjective forms of blessing and curse, sometimes simultaneously. You know, so we're, I know we'll talk about this more the deep. We haven't even started into the actual prayer yet. I'm aware. So <laughs> let, let, let. We haven't. I, I want to say one more thing before we, before we move on, which touches on the first thing you said, Ellen, is that I also grew up learning that shalom means hello, goodbye, and peace. But I learned this, I think it was potentially from my father who at some point made a joke about ancient Israelites being hippies and greeting each other with peace, man, peace, man. But that that really struck a chord with me, which is that shalom does not actually mean hello and goodbye. Shalom is used as a greeting when we meet people and when we depart from them. And that is much more powerful to me to keep in mind this conversation we're having about the meaning of shalom, that when I say shalom, Noah, shalom, Ellen, shalom, my friends, I'm not just saying hi, that there's something else going on there. And that when I am aware of that, it can deepen that experience of encounter or make it an encounter. And when I'm aware on that from the receiving end, it feels different as well. I want to just, I want to just note, on, on exactly that point, right? That like in Israel, you could have a conversation that began, shalom, shalom, mashlomcha, right? <laughs> like you say shalom and someone says shalom back. And then you say, so how is your shalom? How's your shalom going? Wow. Right? Uh, how shalomy are you in the, in this moment? Right? Well, it's like, where are you? Where's the totality of you? You know, I'm not just asking like, what's that? I'm not asking manishma. Uh-huh. Well, I'm asking Mashlam Ha. I really want to know about your whole being. Yeah. Wow. See, <laughs> we could <laughs> we could Shalom on Shalom explore forever, but we're bringing up Shalom today, dear listener, because we are once again back on our Amidah journey. And as Ellen <laughs> shares in our document, we started this in episode eight. We are currently on episode 44. Now, half of those episodes were interviews, but still, we have been exploring this Amidah for a very long time, and we're still not done. What an honor and a delight. But just to do a quick recap of where we have been, we have taken three steps back and three steps forward. We have explored Baruch Atah, Yodhe Vavhe. What do those words even mean? What are they? We have called upon our ancestors, upon the powers of the Holy One, explored holiness, surged through the petitionary blessings of knowledge, repentance, forgiveness, redemption, healing, time and space, in-gathering, justice, boo heretics, yay righteous ones, a rebuilt Jerusalem, a kingdom of redemption. What does it mean for prayers to be heard, moved into the closing salvos of accepting our prayers, gratitude. Last time we explored the priestly blessing, which takes us now into today's piece of liturgy, Seem Shalom. Ellen, I would love for you to get us started by sharing of from the Siddur of your choice, the Hebrew and English of Seem Shalom. 
Be happy to. I am reading to you today from the Reform Sidor Mishkan Tefillah. And the Hebrew says, Sim Shalom Tova Uvracha Chain Vachesed Verachamim Alenu Ve'al Kol Yisrael Amecha Barchenu Yotzrenu Kulanu Ke'echad Be'or Panecha Kiv or panecha natata lanu Adonai Eloheinu, Torat chayim ve'ahavat chesed utzdaka uvracha ve'rachamim ve'chayim ve'shalom. V'tov be'enecha levarech et amcha Yisrael bechol eit uvechol sha'a bishlomecha. Baruch Ata Adonai, Hamivarech et Amo Yisrael Bashalom. The English here says, Grant peace, goodness, and blessing, grace, kindness, and mercy to us and to all your people, Israel. Bless us, our Creator, all of us together through the light of your presence. Truly, through the light of your presence, Adonai, our God, you gave us a Torah of life. The love of kindness, justice, and blessing, mercy, life, and peace. May you see fit to bless your people, Israel, at all times, at every hour, with your peace. Praise are you, Adonai, who blesses your people, Israel, with peace. Just in the hearing of that, and perhaps it is because I attach so many melodies to it, but I'm thinking not. There is a melodic quality to the Hebrew and the English in and of itself, perhaps through the repetition of these different words, values, tova uvracha, chen vechesed verachamim. There's a flow to it. It feels, I don't know, in my mind, I was like, it feels like the ocean, or it feels like a river. It feels watery in some sort of way. What's coming up for, for either of you just in, just in that, in the sound? The, uh, the barchenu avinu kulanu that that anu that I, I find it's an interesting sound for the end of the amidah. Mm. It's like kind of sounds like it's bringing it all together. I think this liturgy, it is sort of similar. I mean, I think I mean a lot of liturgy I think functions this way. To be perfectly honest, probably by design, probably because it's beautiful poetry, all of it, but uh, or most of it, but. A lot. It's it's evoking the same kind of thing that happens in my brain when I read the Aramaic of the Kaddish, where yes, it's about the words and their meaning, but it's also so much about the rhythm, like the syllabic nature of the lines, right? Tova uvracha, da 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 da, chen vachesed virachamim. It 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 feels like you said sing songy. It it makes your body want to do stuff, you know. And depending on like you said, Eliana, like which melody you're hearing in your mind, right? Like. Does it make your body move in three, four time and four, four time? Does it, it, it is, and, and it's also one of those prayers that does some laundry listing of all the stuff that we're really excited about or hoping for, which is, a, I think, right. It's a, it's a common feature of Jewish liturgy, but because it's, because it's a common feature across a lot of prayers, then when you go from prayer to prayer, you can think to yourself, or I think to myself, I guess I should say, why this list here? Right. If it's a prayer about shalom, what is it about tova, goodness, bracha, blessing, chen, kindness, chesed, compassion, and rachamim, right? Mercy. 
that all that we need all of that to have shalom. Why this list on the, with this chatima? Or that shalom will. contains all of that within it. Our favorite My People's Prayer Book mentions that in Numbers Rabbah, this collection of Midrashim on the book of Numbers, it says, great is shalom for all blessings are contained in it. Great is shalom for God's name is shalom. Which adds, of course, a whole other layer we have blessings and prayers for shalom in so many places in our liturgy. And here our rabbis are saying all blessings are contained within it, which goes back to our idea about shalom being holding all of these things, all that is the container, and also adds a whole other element about shalom being in and of itself a name for God, one of the foremost nicknames that we call the Holy One, reminding me of Rabbi Sager, Zichrono Livracha, saying that when we call God a name, when we say a blessing, we're saying this has happened and this is possible, reminding us that shalom is possible. I'm also thinking, we could riff all day, I'm also thinking about how it, you know, we, we learn in Mishnah, right? Talmud, Torah, Keneged, Kulam. There's all these amazing mitzvot we can and should do to secure our place in Olam Haba in the world to come. But the study of Torah leads to all those mitzvot, right? And if Shalom contains all those blessings, and if our liturgy slash our Tanakh is right, what it says that all of the ways of Torah are ways of pleasantness and all of its paths are peace, right? Then you could, you could, by the commutative property of the of the Talmud, <laughs> you could you could argue that when the that when our sages say Talmud Torah Keneged Kulam, what they're really saying is Talmud Talmud Torah Keneged Shalom. That the if if what we're looking for is all these blessings in our lives, all these good things to come to us because we did all these wonderful things with the time that we are that we're given, then maybe that's the point of Torah, is to lead us toward a path of Shalom. That, that holds all of this in it. Oh, beautiful. Yes, we could riff all day. That is, in fact, what we're doing here. So don't be afraid of the riffing. <laughs> that, I'm pro that, that is our favorite goal. Yeah, Ellen. Oh, do you want to riff some more? Or do you want to move <laughs> well, I, forward in our outline? It's entirely I wanted up to, to you. bring us back to the liturgy itself and varieties that we find both in the Hebrew and in the English the addition of Sim Shalom Ba'olam, for example, a later addition, an attempt to bring some universalization into a pretty specific tefillah, pretty specific piece of liturgy, bring peace, grant shalom, olam in biblical Hebrew, meaning forever in time, and olam in modern Hebrew, meaning world forever in space. So again, with this new notion of shalom that I have, Sim shalom ba'olam in all that is in space-time with space-time that's really powerful. And then, yeah, Ellen. Adding that that root in modern Hebrew, that ayin lamed mem, um, if something is ne'elam, it's invisible. It's, it's spirit. It's abstract. Yet another universe of, you know, limitless infinity there just to add to the toolbox. Yes, please. Add all you want. I'll add that in the version you read the nickname of the Holy One as Avinu, our father or our parent has changed to Yotzreinu. 
or creator? It has. That happens a lot in Mishkan Tefillah of expanding the idea that it doesn't always have to be Melech or Malkenu and try to make it certainly more gender sensitive and highlighting sometimes, and I think other Sidorim have gone further in highlighting the name of God or facet of God that is the focus of a particular piece of liturgy, which I think is a beautiful uh, evolution of Sidorim in that direction. It also evokes Yotzer or, and you know, just like sort of coming full circle, mm. right? If God is a Yotzer in the blessing in which we name God as Oseh Shalom, then why not name God as a Yotzer in this moment as well? Like, I think it, I think it, it's, it's harmonious in that way as a prayer book. Ellen, you showed us your hymnal before. Why did you bring your hymnal to the podcast today? <laughs> I had this very interesting thought. Well, I do. I have my union hymnal. If we were on uh, online, you know, if we were on video, you could see it. Uh, it's published in 1960. This is the religious school door that I grew up with. And it also has adult services in it and, and songs and music in the back. But I knew what Sim Shalom was and went straight to the page this morning, pulled this off my shelf. And I have to read you the English and then I promise I'll tell you why. And if you grew up in the reform movement and you're as old as I am, then feel free to read along with me. You probably know it by heart. Grant us peace, thy most precious gift, O thou eternal source of peace, and enable Israel to be its messenger unto the peoples of the earth. Bless our country that it may ever be a stronghold of peace and its advocate in the council of nations. May contentment reign within its borders, health and happiness within its homes. Strengthen the bonds of friendship and fellowship among the inhabitants of all lands. Plant virtue in every soul and may the love of thy name hallow every home and every heart. Praise be thou, O Lord, giver of peace. Now, the reason I share it, and like I say, a lot of classical reform Jews have it memorized is because I there's no Hebrew to sing Shalom in here. It doesn't exist. There's no Hebrew. I learned it until I was, I don't know how old, in English. So for me, Sim Shalom Hebrew is a translation of Grant Us Peace, Thy Most Precious Gift. What I love about it and the reason I bring it up is because I learned this interpretive English first. Mm. I think that that's part of the reform movement's perhaps strength or a gift that it brings is my entering into the Hebrew already with this sense of responsibility, of tzedek, of blessing, of being a light. And I really appreciate this. I think there's a reason that we all have it memorized from our childhood. So I just couldn't resist bringing it up today. Thank you for bringing it up. I love when you do. And it's another reminder of how powerful translations are and how powerful it is. And I think, Ellen, you're pointing through the computer at Noah <laughs> um, because not to bury the lead here, listener friends, but one of the reasons that our dear friend Noah is on the podcast today is that we love his musical rendition of Sim Shalom in which there is an interpretive translation. So this seems like a great time for us to ask you about that, what your process was, how it came about, what it means to you. Sure. 
So first, let's just like, you know, sort of like Ellen did, let's get the words on the table. So you'll hear when I sing it later, right? I, I open with that that first line of the of the liturgy, just as Ellen read it uh, from Mishkan Tfilasim, Shalom, Tovai, Rachachin, Vachesed, Verachamim, Aleinu. And then I sort of stop there without getting more specific about Yisrael, just sort of going to the Aleinu place on all of us. I think we all deserve a little bit more Shalom. And then, and then English. So the first, there's like sort of two verses. So after that Hebrew, we have two verses of interpretive translation. And the first one is the light in the darkness teaches us to love kindness. The source of compassion fashioned us in their likeness. And then each, each of those English verses uh, ends, well, I'll get to the ending in a second. That's the first verse. The light in the darkness teaches us to love kindness. The source of compassion fashioned us in their likeness. And the second verse goes, the force that unites us teaches us to be righteous. Every hour and season, we are blessed and enlivened. And each of the verses ends with the words, that we might bring peace to the world, shalom ba'olam, which gets at a little bit of like my upbringing, uh, being raised in both the reform and the conservative movements sort of simultaneously. I'll get to that more a little bit later. But the the idea here is based on all of these like laundry list items in our liturgy, all these different blessings that we're, that we're sort of seeking that are subsumed in the shalom or under the shalom umbrella. But each sort of is evoking a little bit of a different idea, I think, of God here for me. So I start with light, light and darkness. Uh, why darkness? Well, because we wouldn't be praying for peace, for, for shalom, uh, for wholeness, if the world wasn't a little bit broken. And I think we can all agree that it is. So from darkness, light. And why light? Well, because we've got light all over the place in this liturgy. We've got or panecha twice in two lines, the light of God's face. You know, and going back to Yodzer, right? We've got God is associated with light all over the place in our liturgy. So light in darkness is a powerful metaphor that's teaching us to, to love kindness, right? And that, that comes straight out of the liturgy, this idea of ahavat chesed, love of chesed, right? Love of kindness or love of compassion. Uh, so the light in the darkness teaches us to love kindness. And then the source of compassion, uh, that, that idea of God, not just as being compassionate, but as being the source of our compassion. I like that idea of like the sort of two primordial elements of God, of, of, of Dean and Rachamim, right? Sort of balancing one another out. But that Rachamim is one of the essential elements that makes God, God, that idea of Rechem of, of, of Rachamim as the womb from which the universe was built or, or birthed rather. Uh, so the source of compassion fashioned us, right? And that's really goes back to Yotzrenu, right? This God as a shaper fashioned us in their likeness in, in, in God's image, I specifically used their and not his or her or its or God's because I have non-binary and trans folks in my family first and in my community second and in the wider world third that feel themselves represented more and more by the pronoun they. And if we can use him metaphors and her metaphors for God, why can't we use they metaphors for God as well? I think you know, we've got non-binary Hebrew liturgy coming to the fore these days. We ought to be we ought to be willing to use non-binary English too. So there, so you know, in, in God's likeness and in, in their likeness, we got that second verse. The force that unites us teaches us to be righteous. 
right? We've got tzedakah in this liturgy. So there's something to our pursuit of shalom that requires right action. And, and that matters. And, and, and that's something we have to train ourselves to be and to do. And I like the idea of God as a force that unites us, not just because I'm a Star Wars nerd, but because I genuinely think that the idea of a uniting force is a very powerful and helpful metaphor for God in the Jewish tradition. And then every hour and season comes straight out of the liturgy, right? Bechol etu v'chol sha'a, right? That, that at all times, we, we have the chance. We have the chance to be like this. And, you know, shalom ba'olam is exactly, you know, going back to what we were talking about a minute ago about, you know, this ad, this ad of the time, the space timiness, the fact that this is happening in, in a way that we can feel, in, in a way that we can experience, or at least it, we hope it's happening uh, that way. So that's where all that English came from. So beautiful. Thanks for asking. So beautiful. And I think it highlights the covenantal nature of our relationship to the Holy One, bringing out that it's on us too to make these things happen. Prayer is aspirational, which we've talked about a good amount. I mean, you know, when I speak to young folks about their qualms with prayer, so much of it is, well, we ask for these things and they don't happen. Well, they don't happen, so we keep asking and reminding ourselves of what is necessary, again, with this more fuller picture of what shalom is and can be, knowing that it's possible. It's not just that one day all of the swords will fall from people's hands. It's a process that takes each of us and all of us and knowing what's possible. And I love, Noah, also that you're translation brings forward some of the powerful parts of the prayer that we might not think about, like and how beautiful that is kind of in each moment, in each hour, or in all of the timeliness of time, what that might look like. It's interesting. I noticed when I was preparing for today that in just the sentence before that, before the, the laundry list, as it were, of these wonderful qualities, it says, Shanatata. Lanu. It's past tense. Mm. You gave us all of these wonderful, amazing things. And then in the next sentence after Bishlomecha, perhaps, I don't, uh, then it, then it goes Bacholet, or just prior to Bishlomecha, Bacholet Uvacholsha'a. It's something you gave us a long time ago. It's something that's still coming at us every moment of every single day. And then I love that then with the Chatima, which is as most of them are, present tense. Hamavarech, all of this is a blessing. Could we only see it that way, accept it as such, try to be in what is? It, it really takes it full circle for me. Yeah, I'm, yes, absolutely. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm struck by the idea, I mean, this is like the, this is, surprise, I like process theology, which is like this idea that God and us are in this constant dynamic relationship of becoming, which really speaks to me. But I, I, I think it's worth noting, right? The, the universe, planet Earth, has never been without violence. I mean, let's go back to the very beginning of creation when like meteors were crashing into this rock floating in space. Like it's, you know, through, through the times of the dinosaurs, we've all seen dinosaur movies. The, the, world, the world has never been a cuddly, cozy place at all times. There's always been like, stuff going on. And yet there's an argument to be made 
that maybe the world the dinosaurs lived in was more shalomi than the world we live in now. I don't know if it's true, but you can make the argument, you know, there's like, you know, there's less human intervention and natural processes. Things are sort of just moving at, at, uh, to the beat of the random chaos of the universe, if you want, right? Instead of a beat that we're, that we human beings are trying to like impose upon that, right? And I think it's, again, sort of going back to the meaning of shalom, we're looking for wholeness here, not perfection by some human standard. So, so we, we've got, we've got chances. We've got chances every day. The sun keeps coming up to, to try to do different. You know, and shalom is, uh, this idea of, of shalom also coexists with Israel of the constant struggle from the get go. And it's always with that yud at the beginning going to be future tense. And we hold both of these things simultaneously, the conflict and the, the shalomness of it all. What came up for me holding it all simultaneously is that in my like future eco-conscious socialist utopia, we're still going to like have conflict about like who's making dinner that night or where to build our well. Like even when all of these things, even without war, there's still these moments of tension. And again, it goes back to this idea that I'm so grateful for that you brought with us, Ellen, that it's not about the absence of conflict. It's about being able to sit with what is and be with what is and find wholeness in that. Really everything everybody's saying, there's just so many beautiful lines in here. The one that's really been on my mind lately is kulanu ke'echad be'or panecha, which is just when I stopped to actually, again, I'm familiar with the liturgy and it's like I've sung this all my life and it didn't hit me until an adult how radical and incredible it is what we're saying. All of us as one in the light of your presence, how powerful that is calling, right? Noah, you brought the image of light into your translation, into your song, what does it mean for us to be together in the light of your presence and balancing the notion both of shalem and shalom is possible and we can do it and it's really difficult. So we're asking for help. That's why we call out for it beyond ourselves. Again, there's that balance of holding both at the same time. It is possible and we can't do it alone. And with that, we'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone. I want to take just a few minutes to get to know our very special guest, Rabbi Noah Diamondstein, a little bit more. Wondering if you could share a little bit about your relationship to tefillah, your background with tefillah, where it was then, maybe where it is now. Yeah, so I mentioned earlier that I was raised simultaneously in the conservative and reform movements, which doesn't mean anything unless I give it context. So the context is that for whatever, 10 and a half months a year, I was living in Allentown, Pennsylvania, attending Temple Beth El, which is the conservative synagogue there. And 
I was doing in conservative religious school, what I like to call bench pressing the Torah, you know, just like memorizing the ashray and, and things that you do when you're growing up in a conservative temple. And there's such an emphasis placed on really having this relationship to the full Hebrew liturgy. But because there's a lot of it and there's not tons of time that you're in, you know, religious school every week, there, there, wasn't, there wasn't a lot of room growing up for me for the conversations about why, how, when, and, you know, like what, what's going on here and why. And the place that I got to ask a lot of those questions was where I got to be a Reformed Jew, which is going to Camp Harlem up in the Poconos, URJ Camp Harlem in the summertime, which is a Reformed summer camp. And I had all these amazing sort of experiences growing up of like, you know, sitting in the beautiful space of Chapel on the Hill on Friday night and somebody at the front of the room, I remember this, I have a sense memory of this, somebody at the front of the, of the space saying, please rise for Shema, and me being like, what? <laughs> like, what, people do that? Is that a thing that people do? And then, and then after we sang Shema, and we sang Baruch Shem out loud, also, what? Then it was like, you may be seated. And now I was like, what's going on here? Like, what, like, what is happening? I was in like this whirlwind. And it was really those sort of juxtapositions of these two sort of parallel traditions that that got me asking, I think, a lot of the questions that ultimately led me down the path of becoming a rabbi. Why are why are these two communities, you know, so similar and yet so different and and, and what's going on here? But that didn't the, the, it wasn't all sunshine and rainbows with me in Jewish liturgy. I when I was a teenager, I had a really difficult experience with cancer in my family. My grandfather, Allah uh, Shalom, had a really bad sort of case of metastatic bladder cancer and you know, whether it was a good idea or a bad idea, I don't know. I'm not here to question my dad's parenting choices, but I went with my dad when I was 15 years old on a pretty regular basis up to his house in New Jersey to sort of take care of him while he was in hospice. And it was a beautiful thing for me to be able to do for my grandfather. And it was also maybe something that I was not as a 15 year old emotionally equipped to handle. And by the time that experience was over and he died, I was convinced that everything I had been sold about God was a load of malarkey. I, I couldn't I couldn't imagine God existing after having seen this happen to this beautiful human being. And so I, I threw it in the garbage can and I got really depressed. And then I, thank God, got into therapy. And my therapist suggested that I find something stable, routine, like a, a new routine that was like a healthy routine that I could just build upon and feel safe doing and all that stuff. And I knew that on Sunday mornings after Minion, there was always bagels and locks for the guys at Temple Bethel. And so I started going to Sunday morning Minion, not because I wanted to pray, definitely not, because I wanted a bagel. Um, and I knew that those guys were there and I liked them and they liked me and it was a, a safe, fun space. And I was like, uh, you know, biking distance away. So I started doing that. And all of a sudden, several months later, things were clicking that I did not expect to ever click again. You know, so fast forward, like six years later, I ended up applying to rabbinical school. And here we sit in this amazing podcast. <laughs> That's like the shortest version of that story I've ever told. <laughs> uh, I love it. And yeah, your relationship with Tefillah now how do you find tefillah is in your life as a Jewish person and as a practitioner? And also, what does it mean for you to be a leader of tefillah? Tefillah is a hugely important part of my life, perhaps unsurprisingly. I, when, I, when I started rabbinical school, I mean, prayer was important to me before then too. But when I started rabbinical school, all of a sudden I had a community of prayer 
every day for five years. When you pray every day in community, like an intentional community for five years, it really does shape and change the role of prayer in your life. And now as a Jewish person, my, my Jewish practice, when I have extended periods of time that I'm not able to do that, feels incomplete. It feels less shalom uh, and shalem than it, than it did otherwise. So much so that during the pandemic, I could feel myself getting spiritually exhausted. And I gave a sermon about it, you know, in the fall of 2020, I was sort of saying like, I've gone now seven or so months without this thing that was in my life every day for five years. And, and I can't, I can't go on without it. And so I created in our temple, the first ever in the history of this temple, weekly minion. Like there was, there was no weekday davening really, uh, apart from special occasions or holidays in our temple's practice. And so I, I sort of made some space for that. And, and we've been going on now for two years uh, and it's amazing. We meet, you know, a couple days a week, 8.30 to 9 in the morning, just like get it in on Zoom before we all start our work days. And it's, it's incredible. And as a, as a leader of prayer, you know, on a week to week basis, both in my synagogue and in other synagogues, when I get the chance to visit as an artist in residence or, or a rabbi in residence, um, or just like little, little moments here and there that I get to enjoy, you know, like SLBC or having a share or anything like that, you know, those, those moments of leadership are, I, I think by now the, the times that I feel the most connected, some, some, some prayer leaders feel like they're, they're too busy doing the work of leading. And like, they really like need to find a space where they can just be a congregant. And that's like legitimate and valid. And be, and I like, I love and support those people. I know many of them. And for me, I'll speak only for myself. I, I feel more connected when I'm in doing the work of Shlichut Sibor, of leading community. I, it's, it's, um, I don't know. It's, it's like, it's a kind of expression that I find incredibly heart opening. And in a few words to wrap up our very mini interview, what are your hopes for the people that you lead in prayer? What do you hope for them in the moment, after the moment, however you see that? Yeah. I, I, want, I want them to feel like they were given adequate space time. That's, I think, the first thing, like to hold proper space for them, for them to do with whatever they're going to do, right? I mean, Ellen is one of the people who most chiefly taught me this, like, we all come to pray for very different reasons and we all leave feeling something different. And there's a big difference between the silence in the car on the way to the concert and the silence in the car on the way home from it. That's an Ellen Dreskinism that I will carry with me forever. And, and I, you know, really in, in, in the concert space, in the actual time we're spending doing the thing, I just want people to feel like they have the space to do with that time, whatever they can and, and need to. It's not my job to make, to make you really hone in on Micha Mocha that day, but I'll give you an opportunity by bringing a melody that I hope will open your heart. And, you know, if, if it calls for it, or if the moment demands it, introducing it in a way that can provide you with some context for you to think about and chew on and then swallow with as much salt as makes it tasty uh, or leave it on to, or leave it off to the side. So really just holding space, I think is my hope, uh, holding space and that they'll use it in a way that serves them. Beautiful. And with that, We'll be right back. Shalom, 
Welcome back, everyone. Let's dive into some melodies for Seem Shalom that we know and love. Ellen, why don't you share about the piece we just heard? The piece you just heard was written by Steve Dropkin. Back in the day, he formed a group called Ketsev. And I really appreciate it. Perhaps it's the Texan in me. I'm a sucker for a 3-4 beat. And this was the first, I, I think, that, that got into my head. And there's this very flowy nature to it, which I appreciate very much. The other one that I really enjoy is uh, Mayor Finkelstein has a very old Seam Shalom that's quite jazzy in nature. And I haven't heard recordings of it very often, but just a little bit of a, it's Seam Shalom, Tova Uvraha. And if you can find it out there, take a listen, because I think it's a winner. That's beautiful. Um, I have to say, when thinking about the melodies for Sim Shalom that I love, both of the ones that I picked are quite mellow and slower and only use a couple of the words. And it dawned on me that that's probably because most of the other melodies for Sim Shalom that I know are very, very fast and use all of the words, right? Either Sim Shalom Tova Uvracha or Sim Shalom Tova Uvracha um, or the very many other ones that I grew up with because we're at the end of the Amidah and the service is very long because we're doing everything. And so we need to sing Sim Shalom very quickly. Like the first time that I heard Julie Silver Sim Shalom I think I cried. Like I'm I'm pretty sure and even thinking about it now there is such a yearning in the slowness of of the meter and also just in the way that it goes up and down. We'll play a little bit of it here. also want to raise up the Sim Shalom by my dear friend Nick May that also has a beautiful English translation invoking light. Um, so these kind of gentle, slower, calming, perhaps even lullaby-ish type melodies have really been speaking to me. And now, now I'm so excited to turn it over to you. You can share a little bit about the piece, lead us potentially in, in hearing and receiving this song as a closing blessing. Thank, thanks, before I do that, for having me. It's amazing. This has been so much fun. Uh, and also, before I do that, I, I'll just shout out, in addition to the wonderful ones you've all mentioned, Max Janowski, who wrote this super crazy, powerful, high art, with choir, cantorial Sim Shalom, that feel... It, I'm sure it could be done on Shabbos, but it feels high holy day-ish to me. And I had to learn to sing it for the one and only time that I ever like fully served as the lowercase chet chazan for a community for the high holy days. And there was so much, I always like sort of like used to roll my eyes at it because it, it was like too majestic for me. Like that's not usually the mode that I like to pray in, but then learning it, like learning to sing it and then leading it was a completely like, 
like it was a moment of renewal for me within the liturgy and now I love it uh, so much. So, so that's beautiful. And this one is the opposite maybe of that <laughs> in terms of like style and feel and, uh, and all that. Um, you've heard a lot about the words already, but I wrote, I wrote this song. Well, this, that is, I wrote this, this setting, you know, at, at a, at a time uh, of, of a lot of conflict and a lot, I was just like reading about violence in the news on a regular basis and it felt like I needed to write it. And so I did. And it continues to give me peace. And I, I hope it does for you too. So this is uh, my setting of Sim Shalom. Sim Shalom, Sim Shalom, Tova Uvracha. Sim Shalom, Sim Shalom, Chen Vachesev Rachamim. Sim Shalom, Sim Shalom, Tova Uvracha. Sim Shalom. Sim shalom, chen v'chesed v'rachamim aleinu. The light in the darkness teaches us to love kindness. The source of compassion fashioned us in their likeness. That we might bring peace to the world. Shalom Sim shalom, sim shalom, tova uvracha. Sim shalom, sim shalom, chen v'chesed v'rachamim aleinu. The force that unites us teaches us to be righteous every hour and season. We are blessed and enlivened that we might bring peace to the world. Shalom, Sim shalom, sim shalom, tova ubracha. Sim shalom. Sim shalom, chen v'chesed v'rachamim, v'rachamim, aleinu. Thank you so, so much, Noah, for bringing us that shalom, for being with us today. So, so grateful that you're here. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ellen, for being with us today. 
a pleasure to be here today as always. And Josh, we miss you and we'll see you soon. And Noah, hope to see you soon too. Thanks. Amen, amen. Our podcast is edited by Christy Dodge. Thank you, Christy. Our show notes are done by Yaffa Englander. Thank you, Yaffa. Our theme music is A New Light by me, but I think as we outro, we're instead going to listen to the recorded version of Seem Shalom by Rabbi Noah Diamondstein. Check us out at lightlab.co or on social media at thelight.lab. We hope that this has brought some shalom to your day, and we hope to be back with you soon. Shalom, everyone. Sim Shalom, Sim Shalom, Chen Vachesed Verachamim, Aleinu. The light in the darkness teaches us to love kindness, the source of compassion. Fashioned us in their likeness That we might bring Peace to the world Shalom Baola Shalom, 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 Shalom,